laugh at this next part. In a world of political correctness and cancel culture, two comedians have risen up to prove that with the right angle, anything can be funny. This is You Can't Laugh at That. Who writes these? Huh? We should have this person locked up and looked at. Live from Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's Steve Mers and David Horning on this week's episode. Why is the most powerful, I feel like it's the most powerful tool for a comedian, why? Mm-hmm. If you can figure out why, or even just find a way to to comedically dissect why, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, like let's say I wrote a joke about why I like tattoos. That means I would go back into my site, go back into, go back to actually getting the tattoo, the pain. Like I could, there's a, a million theories as to why. It's just, can I make it funny? You yeah. know what I mean? Can I make it comical? And mm-hmm. that to me is your talent as a comedian. Some some comedians, I know it's a very easy to be considered a comedian because all you need is a stage and a microphone, but I feel like the talent of a comedian is that ability to take you where my brain went. That's the talent of a comedian. And not all comedians can do that. Hey, this is David from You Can't Laugh at That. Hey, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast and if you found value in any of the episodes or if you've laughed even once, consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod. Now, these conversations we have with all these awesome comedians typically last about two hours. So there's so much footage we have to cut from every single episode and we hate that we have to cut it. And we don't want it to disappear into the ether, which is why we edit it together into exclusive clips. Some episodes, they're 15 minutes, a half hour of extra footage. Other episodes, it's a little bit shorter. Either way, if you enjoy listening to You Can't Laugh at That, join our Patreon for exclusive access. And thanks for listening to our podcast and supporting comedy, because no matter how weird times get, Remember that you can laugh at that. How do y'all do this? Is this like an intro music or how, how do we, how do y'all do it? Honestly, the last few times we've done it, we've just kind of uh, just let the conversation flow, like naturally segue into the topic. Um, it gets edited a lot. Oh, okay. So yeah. we'll just start and then we sometimes record the intro at the end and then you just kind of like, we just go in and have it edited. So. Yeah, man. Oh, but, I mean, okay, okay. yeah. Just, like, if there's a good flow of conversation going, we're not going to interrupt it to be like, "Welcome to You Can't Laugh at That," the podcast where we take <laughs> topics that you can't laugh at, and we find ways to laugh at them, and the never-ending quest to prove that anything can be funny. Like, I wouldn't do that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Murs is here. Jeremy hey. Demery will pop in and out as we as the conversation ebbs and flows, and Mike Paramore is joining us. Uh, what's oh, going on, Mike? Oh. Colin, Colin. Yeah. You've been on the road lately? Like, what's what's going on? Uh, oh, God. I mean, you? as much as I can, you you really find out how far you've come in comedy when the world stops and then you got to start from scratch again. Like, I, <laughs> it's uh, uh, cold emailing people again and, and <laughs> just a veil's purgatory and all mm-hmm. that good stuff that you that you forget about when you start to get a little bit momentum 
and you forget about that stuff. But now I'm being desperately reminded of it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like you, you you get a dry bar special, you get your second album out, you know, the same thing. But like, and then you get that momentum wave. Was 2020 about to be your year? Oh, my God. You have <laughs> no idea. You have no I I was about to end. Oh, my God. It was set up perfectly. Mm. I had I was I had a good 10 clubs that I had never been in before. Um, I got a cruise ship agent. I mm. got had a commercial dude that was interested. I didn't want to do that anyway. I'm not an actor. But yeah, it was it was 2020 was shaping up to be something special. And it just all went to shit. Yep. Yeah. This is uh this is the the test. Like are <laughs> did you really earn that spot? <laughs> <laughs> for 2021 yeah. you know or can you maintain because right definitely it's definitely gonna cost you to hold on all that <laughs> right sure. right uh you've been doing comedy for a minute um when did you get started doing uh doing comedy uh probably like oh seven i don't know I, it's it's funny i don't know what's the what's the technical what's the What's the technical technical start of a of a comedian's career when you first ever touch a stage or when you start taking it seriously? That and that's a good point. I always uh, use taking it seriously as a as a yeah gives me an extra year. Yeah, because <laughs> the first the the first two <laughs> times I was ever on stage had six months in between them. Yeah. Um, the and the third time had another another six months. So the first. So if you start from the first time I ever touched the stage, for three years, I'd only did four sets. Mm. <laughs> so I guess technically, I don't know. It depends on what you what you consider starting. <laughs> I guess there's a difference between the first time you did comedy and then when you started comedy. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> because it also, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't know where you guys are in comedy, but. I feel like if you if you started from when you the first time you ever touched the stage, that gives a lot of validity to like to like uh, to the professional open micers. You know what I'm saying? Mm. That gives <laughs> that gives a lot of validity to to you know the person who's only been on stage a couple times and made wing money, and, <laughs> and <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, I used to I used to get on my nerves when I used to start like when I started traveling and then a. Uh, uh, comedian will come to me and say hey um or ask me for advice or whatever like that and then they would call themselves a comedian and it's like how long have you been doing comedy for a couple months i just started it's my fourth time on stage well why are you calling yourself a comedian <laughs> like i that doesn't i don't understand it's like you did I've, karaoke I've, four times I've, and I've now you're a singer <laughs> four <laughs> i fixed four toilets in my life i'm not a plumber That's yeah not, yeah I don't mm. understand. <laughs> like, do you know how long I was doing comedy before I considered myself a comedian? Yeah. I would like people would call me a comedian. I'm like, no, I'm not. I just no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Like, people would throw that term around one time. Like, I don't yeah. even pay for this one time. I'm not a comedian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it needs to be more of that humility about it, you know. <laughs> like I don't mind you do. I mean, I you know the the grassroots of comedy is at the bottom of the barrel, so I don't mind that at all. I I I, I think that you can't be a dope comedian without that that struggles, some struggle first two years, three years. But to to I don't know to say I'm a comedian. I'm a comedian. Nah, I don't know. I, don't I think know. it becomes official once you put comedian in your name on Facebook. 
Yeah. <laughs> that's how you know you're not a comedian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I knew a few people in New York uh, that that they're they would put like actress or actor in front of their name, and it's like, come on, like who are you trying to impress in New York? Everybody's an actor or an actress. Right, just be more specific. Yeah. That one Doritos commercial, Mike Fairmore. Like, <laughs> like the, <laughs> be more specific. Yeah, that's my claim to fame. <laughs> oh man, Mike uh, has been. Uh, he's got two albums. He's got the things we tell ourselves, which is available on iTunes and Amazon. He's got you've just been flirted with. He's got a dry bar special. He's been on live at Gotham. He's been in comedy festivals all over. I saw you were in the Laughing Devil Festival. I did that a couple of years ago. That was a good festival. Yeah, it was a cool. It was a cool situation. It was. It, it was the first real test of 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 me and and just being the business of being on stage because it was the first festival I did where you had to do a different five minutes each mm-hmm. time, and there were like four rounds. And I'm sure you guys know. You guys are are, are comedians. If you, it's much easier to do an hour than it is to do five different five minute sets. Like, right. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like have five openers, five closers, five, you know what I'm saying? Like, get, like yeah. building it up, getting that, getting the meat, having a closer, like, and dividing your setup. That's how I, that's how I first, uh, pretty much started considering myself a storyteller versus just telling jokes. Because mm-hmm. when I start to try to divide up my set, I'm like, I don't know what goes with what. You got to just let me keep going. Just I'd rather you just let me surprise me. Like, let yeah. me do five minutes <laughs> and just, <laughs> just give me a light from the back. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I got to go. Yeah. Plus, you gotta, you've got to, like, bet that, you know, the first set will get you through, but will, you know, be funny enough to get you through, but you don't want to use all your funniest shit first. Like, right, right. Yeah, no, like, they, they, they try to tell you the strategy for that, but I'm the type that's just like, just get there. You know what I mean? Just get there. You can always punch up old stuff. You can keep writing, but you just got to get there. You don't, you don't want to not make it and then have a whole bunch of bullets left in the chamber. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, I, I just kind of just, I just do, I, I just empty the clip and just hope for the best. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but you should see by the time I'm in the finals, I got like a high level of not giving a damn because I'm down to my questionable material. Yeah. <laughs> so now it's just a, it's just a, a a combination of like stage presence and like punch ups that you thought of over there because the the one round is like the final round is usually right after the semifinal. You don't get a day oh, between. Shit. It's like oh, the the semifinals is at six, the finals is at eight. <laughs> hmm. So you need to uh, hurry up and and decide that this is funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but did they do it as, like you had to go from one one venue to another, or was it in the same place? Um, because I know, I mean, I know it was a few years ago, so I can't remember. I think I believe it was one place. I believe it was one place, Broadway Comedy Club. Yep. I don't think we did another comedy club. I think it was Broadway Comedy Club. Yeah, yeah, they did the they did most of the shows there when I was in it. They had some shows at Greenwich Village, which I mean, that's like that that's was. Like 30- I don't know if those was prelims, but I did perform at that club too. Okay. I did perform there too. I don't know if that was part of the festival or. They were just trying to give us stage time. I don't yeah. know if we were judged on that, but I know all of the judge. It was definitely judged at Broadway Comedy Club. Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. No, that was a lot of fun. And it does stretch you. Like I got to the second round and I was like, no, nah, I'm going to save like my best for when I get to the finals. And then my stuff in the second round, just, it just didn't work. Uh, Cause it was like newer. And I still, I was probably, would that have been 2019? I think that would have been 2019. So at that point I probably had like 15 good minutes so like I was, I, I made it there on like, I had like five really good minutes and then I, I blew that the first, uh, the first load. And then my like second best was, I was saving for the end, but you know, yeah, nah, it was you just good to be clip. there. Cause, yeah. you, Cause you'll get a little bit of cachet and a little bit of clout once you get to the finals. So mm-hmm. you'll get that one or two notch bump when you tell those jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you just got to get there. You just got to get mm-hmm. there. Once you get yeah. there, just hope for the best, but you got to, you got to get there because if all else fails, you could always say finalist. Yeah. You know what I mean? You could always yeah. say finalist. You know what right. I mean? So true. Even if you don't being in that finals, you guarantee that whoever is in that festival or judging that festival of note is going to see you. So mm-hmm. you guarantee that they see you. So you can always say finalist, but you just got to get got to get to the finals, man. So I, I like I said, I just that's my motto. I just empty the clip, and once I and if I get to the finals, hope for the best. That's when I pull out the questionable stuff, the yeah. domestic violence jokes and the gay jokes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, you, I mean, you work pretty clean. Uh, you know, obviously t- there's like dry bar clean. That's like a different level of clean. But, yeah. And you're talking about doing cruise ships. Um, did you, did you start that way or did you like, what, what made the, made you decide to, to, to. I started squeaky. I started squeaky clean. Um, and it was not, it was not fun. I actually, when I first started, I was, I considered myself a Christian comedian, like a Christian comedian. That's mm-hmm. why I said Christian comedian, Mike Fairmore. Um, then I dropped the Christian when I found out that like it came with a preconceived notion, like, oh, Christian comedians suck. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I would not get jobs because of just calling myself Christian comedian, Mike Fairmore. So, I, I dropped Christian Comedian, and then uh, once I got out into the world and got out into the comedy world, I slowly started to get grosser and grosser. <laughs> uh, so now I just have the ability to do both. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I can, I can, you know, I can make your grandma blush, or I can, you know, make the church laugh. You know what I'm saying? I can yeah. do both now. So um, I think. To me, it's always been a notion of you have to be able to do clean if you're going to do comedy as a profession. Unless you're one of the top 1% of comedians that get famous and do whatever you want to do, you have to be able to do an hour clean because that's where you make your money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Comedy clubs are great, but you're not, unless you can fill the seats, you're not going to make a living at comedy clubs. I can book you, I can get you 52 weeks of work but you still ain't going to make no money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're going to get $400 here, $500 there, $600 there. You know what I'm saying? So you can you can stay busy as you want to be, but let you pop out a kid and you're going to be in, in unemployment line because yeah. you're, you're not making enough. Yeah. So you can't make a living on comedy clubs. Comedy clubs is where you fall in love with comedy. You do comedy clubs to be like, oh, this is why I do this. This is why... I love this. This is amazing. This crowd loves me. This like I'm I'm in love with this art form. You know what I mean? Um, 
cruise ships, corporate gigs, colleges. That's where you pay your bills. Those are the, those are the shows you do uh, to pay your bills because they're going to give you the money to do this full time. They're also in a, they're also going to give you the notion that you should kill yourself. But if you cannot, if you cannot <laughs> kill yourself, <laughs> yeah. if you cannot kill yourself, you'll get some money. That'd be easy. <laughs> That's a great quote right there. If you cannot kill yourself, you can get some money. That's a great kind of quote. Yeah. All you got to do. <laughs> is not die. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that, that's funny. Do you ever do you ever write a bit? Like, do you ever start a bit dirty and then and then uh, take it to clean? It's much easier the other way around. Yeah, right. um, it's very hard to clean a dirty bit. And as mm-hmm. there's been a couple that I've wanted that were like five minutes long, and I'm like, if I could just switch this question out, I could tell this joke anywhere. But switching that question out makes it not funny anymore because that's where the joke was. It was in that question. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a joke. I have a joke um, like that to this day that I can't. I've tried it four different times on stage, four different versions, trying to get the same response that I do with this dirty question. Um, and it's about it's about a girl. Uh, it's about girl. Girls will say something crazy. But it'll be borderline sexy at the same time, so it keeps us from connecting the crazy dots. And uh, the question is, this is a real question. I didn't make it up. It happened to me. A girl asked me, is it possible to suck a dick too hard? <laughs> and, I, and I just thought that was the perfect mixture of crazy and sexy. Because first of all, why, like, is that a problem where you're from? Like, you got to be insane <laughs> for that to be it. But that to be a question that's burning inside of you, you know what I'm saying? But that to be something that you just had to ask a, a almost stranger, like you have, like what is your life like? You know what I mean? So you got to be crazy. But I'll be damned if that's not a sexy ass question. Though. <laughs> like I'll be damned if that's not a sexy ass question. So uh, the whole joke was written around that question. And I've tried so many different questions to try to create that crazy but sexy thing. Because I got a good five minutes after that that have nothing to do with the question. It just brings me into the craziness and the tags. And so I don't even I don't ever even go back to the question, but it sets the table for five minutes of of laughing and tagging. So if all I had to do was come up with another example, another funny example of a crazy but sexy question and I have not, it's been years and I haven't been able to do it. So it's oh, it's very hard to change dirty into clean. You could definitely dirty up clean, but it's hard to clean up dirty. Yeah. It's easy to throw meatballs in the ground with spaghetti sauce, but you got to clean it up. That's, <laughs> that's a tall order. <laughs> Oh, now, now I need to, now my brain's like, what would be a, a question? I was just thinking like, of like stain removal commercials. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> just like, you know. It's going gonna, gonna to keep you up tonight trying to find crazy <laughs> sexy questions. <laughs> How many popsicles can you fit in your mouth? I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's it's hard. hard. Trust right? me. How Trust many me. licks to get? <laughs> I've been thinking about that for years, and I, I came up with a couple that I thought was funny. Set them on stage, nothing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, just when you think you got it, too. <laughs> right. It's like they're gonna love this one. 
all the weirdest, funniest stuff that I've ever thought of, like I'll do it in front of an audience and I just don't like it. And it's like, dude, I love this. I want to keep doing this, but no one gives a fuck about it. You know? Yeah, you got to tag, you got to find a way to present it. That's, I feel like yeah. that's 50% of a comic's job because your sense of humor is your sense of humor. But if you don't know how to put somebody in the position that you were in when you found it funny, mm-hmm. then it's just a funny dinner table humor. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like yeah. you're not going to, stand in front of strangers and, and get them there. So that's that's 50% of a comedian's job. Damn writing, damn creating. You better be able to make me feel what you felt when you thought it was funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. Every, like every episode, every comic we've had on here has their own version of what you just said. And mm-hmm. like, to me, that's what, that's the best part of it is because you're connecting with the audience, that exact feeling that you felt the moment you thought of this this bit mixed with whatever emotion like made you come up with it in the first place, whether you were angry and then you laughed and you at like, if you could get them to laugh, man, that's, that's cathartic. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, took me a while because I'm, I'm a psychology major. I studied psychology in mm-hmm. college and, and my brain works in that cerebral analytical way. So that was a struggle for me. I used to just over explain jokes all the time and, it was a struggle for me to, to, to be able to relay how my brain works in that cognitive, cognitive manner and then try to get, you know, humor and people on the same page with that weird direction my brain went into. And uh, I used to over explain all the time and just my, my jokes, used to, my setups was long as shit. My setup mm-hmm. used to be super long. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, it would get a payoff, but man, it took a while to get there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. The longer the setup, the bigger the payoff better be. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what you like. You carry on stage the times I've seen you live and, the, and, and your, your dry bar special, your albums. Like you have this like kind of smooth confidence where as an audience member, it's almost like, oh, the, the way you present yourself on stage, the way you converse with the audience, it's like, oh, he's going to take care of us. Uh, <laughs> like, is, is yeah. that, is your like persona, is that something that you, that you've, um, that you've cultivated over the years or, or were you just you like, know what? I got to lean into this, who I am. It's, it's super cool that you put it that way, but it's honestly just a, it's birthed from disappointment. It's birthed from, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's birth from just just being defeated and not giving a damn anymore. So so I remember because I was a people pleaser, right? Uh, I came from church. I was clean comedian for a little bit. So I was I've always been a people pleaser. So and you know comedy is not the business for people pleasers. <laughs> so um, it was one show where uh, I got like. I, I had such a good show. I got like an ovation. Like it was crazy. Such an amazing show. To this day, I still remember uh, uh, the feeling of walking off that stage and everybody's standing and they're like, oh my God, because it was some crowd work involved. It was some moments where you would only get it in that show. And it, it was just one of those lightning in a bottle shows, right? So in my mind, I got off and I'm like, everybody loved me. Right. Everybody loved me. So I had a couple and a lady after that show come up to me and just tell me that I just ruined their evening. Like I was just the worst thing they ever seen. Like it was bad. Mm. And that's when it clicked for me. A hundred percent is not possible. 
so why care mm. at all? Mm. Like, why, why am I putting so much stock in making sure everybody has a good time if, if that's not possible? If, if, I get, if, I had, if I had a show where the God shine down on me from comedy heaven and I still didn't get everybody, I mm. still pissed somebody off, I still, mm. somebody was still unhappy, mm. I was like, that, that was it for me. It, it, it clicked. I was like, oh, well, let me just have fun then. <laughs> let me yeah. just let me just have fun because this is not that was stressful this has been stressful as shit because <laughs> I'm not a center of attention type of dude like I love I like the idea of affecting people's lives in that instant gratification way where I create something and you tell me how you feel about it right then and there that that kind of instant gratification relationship between a comedian and the audience but I always wanted to make sure that everybody was good. You know what I'm saying? Everybody mm-hmm. had a great time. And once, once, and that stressful people pleasing, caring about what everybody thinks was stressful for me. It was, it was literally, it was, I never, I never chased the stage. I was never one of those comedians that would show up and ask for a spot because the stage scared me. I didn't want to go up there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm like, a, I'm a comedian that wasn't a center of attention type of person because of that stress level. But then that show happened. I was like, oh, okay, well, let me just have fun. If it's not possible to please everybody, let me just let me just let it out. Let me just hang out. Let me chill. Let me let me let me get comfortable up here. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's um I think that's what comes off as comfort. That's what comes off as the smooth deliver like all that stuff that people say is like, no, nah, it's just kind of me not giving a damn anymore. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> not people pleasing anymore, not searching for that, searching for that person's joy. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm right. just strictly concentrated on getting what I thought was funny across to somebody else. Mm. Mm. And when you can focus on that, man, that's going to be a hell of a set. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's not authenticity. It's like being you to like the core you <laughs> on stage. Well, once you, once you get rid of that ego, that expectation that like, oh, I have to like have an impact on everybody here. Yeah, it, it changes everything. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm all about presenting my insecurities on stage. Like I, I will be the first to tell you all the ways I bombed, all the stories where I fell on my face. Because it, it, I feel like it makes that connection, but it also like it builds my confidence the more and more I talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. and also because like everybody in the audience too, they're looking at it like they, they probably don't want to talk about that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, just kind of having that, even if I don't talk about it, just having that in the back of my head, like that, that like helps me be in the moment more. I don't know. Yeah. You got to be able to turn off the caring a little bit. I mean, you definitely want to care cause that, that helps you put in the work that you need to put in to, to make your stuff funny. But at the same time, once you get up there and you're just expressing yourself, you got to have a decent level of not giving a damn or you're going to freak yourself out. You're going to stress yourself out. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. this. I know this from from experience. <laughs> Let's ride that wave into um, today's topic, which is one that I, I feel like 90 percent of comedians have a bit about the difference between men and women. But you you kind of 
take it in a different direction, which I really enjoy. I love the the commentary, like the social commentary of it, while it's still being lighthearted and fun. Uh, so you're that, that's what I love about comedies. You can make a, a, a point in a way where people don't realize you're making a point. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do is is we'll we'll play uh, the clip and then we'll we'll kind of talk about. Uh, how you put the joke together, how you connected with the audience and like what your perspective was on everything. Um, okay. So Jeremy, this is from uh, Mike's dry bar special. Getting to the point now where I think men and women are opposite ends of the spectrum. I really do. I think men are very stupid and very simple. And for some reason, ladies, you don't want to understand that. <laughs> We are like that from birth. That is not something we can help. <laughs> I don't know why y'all don't, probably, I think the reason why y'all can't understand it because y'all are different. Y'all are polar opposites to that. You, you guys are a lot more complicated. It's a lot more to y'all. And I don't even think it's your fault. I really don't. I think it's because as soon as you born women, you're born with responsibilities. As soon as you born, they hand you little, <laughs> they give you little fake babies to take care of. <laughs> And tiny vacuums and stoves and stuff. And then, then you start looking at us like, who's gonna help me with this? <laughs> uh, lady, I'm seven. I don't, I don't. I don't care about that baby. I don't know why it's crying. Take the batteries out. I didn't give it to you. <laughs> My GI Joe don't cry. You got the wrong toy. <laughs> And you, <laughs> and you wonder why women mature faster than boys. Why we playing with make-believe stuff like Ninja Turtles. <laughs> you learn how to take care of babies. <laughs> and cooking little brownies with light bulbs and stuff <laughs> is stupid. <laughs> Don't act like you ain't had that easy bake ridiculousness. <laughs> it takes six weeks to make a brownie in that silly thing. <laughs> It's a good brownie, though. It wasn't. It wasn't done in the middle. It was a good brownie. <laughs> as soon as y'all born, they start telling y'all stuff like, "You are a pretty princess." Give you little dresses and stuff to make you look like a princess. Don't let nobody tell you that you're not a princess. Uh, you are not no princess. Even if you were a princess, ladies, what makes you think I want a princess? You know how hard it is to get a princess? Maintain a princess? You know what princesses are? You read fairy tales? Princesses are in the middle of the woods. <laughs> surrounded by seven midgets and, and witches is trying to poison their fruit. Why are people trying to kill you, lady? What did you do? <laughs> no, I'm not kissing you. You ate a poison apple and fell out. You ain't even washed your face. <laughs> Man, there's so much to unpack with that bit. Uh, first and foremost, like, where did it come from? Like, how, like, how did that? How did that come about? How did you start that, uh, the writing process of that? Um, well, it, it it came because, like you said, we all have, you know, comedians write from their experience. And uh, 
I was in a very tumultuous female stage in my life when I started comedy. So all, a lot of my jokes was about the deli that I worked at and females. That was it. That was all, <laughs> that was, all I was talking about. And um, I've always been obsessed with why. I've always been obsessed with why. And it's the majority of the time been a terrible thing. Like <laughs> my obsession with why has always been terrible. It always has led me down the wrong path. <laughs> but um, it makes it makes me a unique comedian in that I will dissect something all the way down to its genesis. Like why? Like we're different. You're getting on my nerves, but why are you? Why am I so irritated by you? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so it's always made me want to like try to find out and do research. Like I said, I'm, I was a psychology major. So the way the brain works really, that's sexy to me, where the brain works sexy to me. So that came from being in those tumultuous situations with those females and thinking, why do I hate you so much? Like, why, <laughs> why don't I like you? Why don't we mix? What, what's keeping us from mixing? Cause I'm talking to you. You hear me talking to you. Like we, I hear you talking to me. Like, we're communicating, we're speaking English, but we're not getting each other. We're not, we're not getting each other, even though we're speaking English. So it just made me think, like I just went back and I went back and I went back and I and I had a, a version of that joke that was about a meeting in high school, a version of that joke that was, about, but it was before that. And a version of that joke that about when I was a kid growing up with, uh, I grew up in a house of five women and um, that turned into another bit that I'm still writing. Um, but then they had to go further, but I'm like, wow, we probably, we probably started hating each other as kids. Like before we even knew we liked the uh, opposite sex, we were being groomed not to like the opposite sex. So, uh, that's kind of where that came from. <laughs> and so you, I mean, you take it to the, to the societal construct of, of why do boys and girls behave differently all the way to like, I mean, we, we've had this conversation before, um, but we're like, we're, um, imprinted upon as, as babies, you know, with the stuff that our parents give us. Like, so, so taking that, that like deep, I mean, you could sit up and lecture somebody. It's a really interesting Ted talk, but to make it funny, what <laughs> made you make that connection? Well, because I, I felt like I thought it was just, it was comical that when you're a little boy, the worst thing you could do is be a girl, do girl stuff, <laughs> play with dolls and, and do hair. Don't you play with your sister's hair? Don't you, don't you put that up? Like the worst thing you could do is do girl stuff. Then when we grow up, we're like, we're supposed to be attracted to all the shit we was told not to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, act act we, like we care. <laughs> right. Uh, you, can, you, you made me hate these people. Now you want me to date them? <laughs> like, yeah. I, like, I like, I thought girls was dope when I was a kid. Like, they, <laughs> the yeah. hair was dope. I wanted to play in it. No, get out that girl's hair. You don't play in girl's hair. You know what I'm saying? Like, so yeah. you, you're, you're just, I just thought from that angle, it just, it was just so hilarious to me that we've been taught from such a young age to not like each other. And then once we get to another age, they're like, okay, go ahead. Now like each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you got a deeper voice now. Yeah. Go, go play with their hair. And it's like, well, I would have been, 
I would have right. been able to know how to braid it. Like I could actually be <laughs> of some help. I was dope. And I used to, and it's so funny because the longer it takes you to get out of that, probably the better dude you're going to become, the better lover, the better, the better caring for a woman you'll become. Like I was a mama's boy. I, I grew up around women. So like the stuff that I was supposed to not do and grow out of the, the Neanderthal stuff, I never, you know what I'm saying? It didn't stick because I was raised by women who had me playing in girls' hair and, and you know what I'm saying? All this stuff. I'm not listening to girls' stories. Like, I I listen like a mug now. Like, I'm a great listener. Like, most dudes be, girls be getting on their goddamn nerves talking about nothing. I'd be like, what? What aisle was that in? You, you, bought, you found it? <laughs> you, finally, you finally found the sugar-free? What? Yeah. Girl, where? <laughs> You've been looking for so long. <laughs> right. So, like, I feel like I feel like by the time they send men out into the world, we we already hate them. We already like. I don't want to. I don't want to listen to you because I never listen to you. I don't want to listen. I don't want to play with you and do the stuff you like to do because I was told not to do none of that stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you and you put it. You you phrase it in a way where it connects with everybody. Just like the simple. You know, men are simple and stupid and like you, it just comes from a genuine place. It feels like of women, we, we don't, why don't you understand that? We're simple <laughs> and stupid. Like, and no. then you break it down uh, with like the different toys that were given. And uh, so like, what, what made you take it to the, to the toys versus like any of the other stuff that we did, like actions or, or whatever you went with like Ninja Turtles. Well, I always Jeff. thought, I always thought it was interesting that, not only were we not allowed to play with the girl stuff, but you got, you have to play with this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Play with, play with this, learn how, learn to like this. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, Right. (laughs) Give Barbie a gun and it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) We don't really understand that, that we're conditioning kids because we think it's a social norm and we just accept it. But there's a reason why men are terrible people. It starts Mm -hmm. from, it starts from one years old. You know what I mean? There's a reason why, like this, like we can't, we can't hold relationships because our mom, the relationship with our mom was messed up, or whatever the case is, and we don't know that we go through life unbeknownst to to how we became, how we are. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. if you just, if you can, if you look at how you became, how you are, I feel like it's hilarious. It can't because you realize how similar you are to everybody else. You know. You start to think that your individual story is so yours that nobody can relate, but everybody can relate. <laughs> so you start to tell your weird story. And even it may be weird in certain aspects and it may a little bit be be very, very unique to you. There's still going to be little staples that can connect everybody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So go off on your little tangent. Figure out how you became who you are. Talk about that. And it'll take you down a, a rabbit hole of of stuff. You know, that's a whole that's a whole forty five minute set. By the time you're done figuring that stuff out, Jesus, right? <laughs> I mean, there's so many layers to it. I mean, you could talk about your own experience. You could talk about the societal expectations. You could talk about like what if it was the other way around? Uh, there's why I mean, there's... why is the most powerful? I feel like it's the most powerful tool for a comedian. Why? Mm-hmm. If you can figure out why or even just find a way to to comedically dissect why, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, like let's say I wrote a joke about why I like tattoos. That means I would go back into my psyche, go back into, go back. 
actually getting the tattoo, the pain. Like I could, there's a, a million theories as to why. It's just, can I make it funny? Yeah. You know what I mean? Can I make it comical? And mm-hmm. that to me is your talent as a comedian. Some some comedians, I know it's very easy to be considered a comedian because all you need is a stage and a microphone. But I feel like the talent of a comedian is that ability to take you where my brain went. That's the talent of a comedian. And not all comedians can do that. Right. Right. So like, how would you define making it, it funny? Um, if you were to, if someone were to say, Mike, how, like, what does make it funny mean to you? You know, make it to me, make it funny means point out, isolate the hypocrisy, isolate why, even if it's sad, it's still weird. And here's why, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I'm going to point out what I feel like is the elephant in this situation. And then when I say it, you'll be like, oh, shit. It was an elephant there this whole time that I didn't think about. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So if you can, if you can somehow point out the elephant, you can make anything funny. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and you do that with this, like like I said, in a way you're you're challenging the the construct, the idea of what boys and girls should be, in a way where you're not like overtly doing it. And that's you know, that's what I really like about the bit. Is yeah, I mean, I love anything that that breaks down the construct of what society is. That question, that why, because it it creates open ended answers, which means you'll discover things that you may not have even seen coming, and that's that's mm-hmm. the beauty of it. And I think it's to me, it's one of those situations where even if you don't like it, you still can understand. Uh-huh. You may not like the way men are, but we're like this because we've been destroying things since we were babies, and it was. It was promoted. Here's yeah. something with a sword in its hand. Here's something with a hammer. Here's a truck that bowls things over. It's like we've been, we've been, <laughs> we've been taught to destroy things for a very long time. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. If you don't have three concussions, <laughs> you're not welcome <laughs> in this town. Like, right. Don't don't cry. Suck it up. And then yeah. you 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 realize. And so it's so funny. This is probably a little bit of psychology, but you realize that when you tell people not to express emotion it becomes harder and harder for that emotion to be valid to us. So that means not only can I not cry, I don't understand why you crying. So mm-hmm. now girls blow like, what, what's wrong with her? Like <laughs> now we don't understand women anymore. Now we don't understand emotion when it's being expressed. And that's all because of the little duck truck we had when we was a baby. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's so, it's one of those things. It's like, if you can find, find the ele- elephant, in your premise, find the elephant. And if you can point out that elephant in your premise, you can make it funny. Mm-hmm. That, that's a clip right there. I think that whole <laughs> thing, that, that's, we're using that to promote this episode. <laughs> you Can't Laugh at That is brought to you by Water Cooler Comedy because work is both the time and place to laugh. Now, for too long, we've been asking the question should work be focused on work or fun? But Mark Twain once said that work and play are two words used to describe the same thing under different circumstances. So my point is that we're asking the wrong question. Instead of asking, should work be work or fun, the question should be, how can we make work fun? Whether it's a keynote speech, 
a half-day workshop, a 90-day consulting program, a customized corporate comedy experience for you and your team as you try to figure out how to reboard, how to get back to work after working virtually for a year. Why humor in the workplace? Well, studies have shown that humor builds resilience. It allows us to adapt to problems more quickly, more creatively, and more correct. It allows us to adapt to problems more quickly, more creatively, and more correct. I can't say collaboratively. <laughs> it allows us to adapt to not being able to say collaboratively correctly. Because not only does laughter make us feel better, it makes us work better too. So why not make work the time and place to laugh? Check out watercoolercomedy.org. So you took that route where we're looking and we're, we're breaking down the societal construct of it. But I mean, you know, there, there are so many different ways to look like, uh, for example, the, the how was your day thing, you know, the listening thing. That's something that, that, that's conditioned out of us. Like, I mean, I find myself doing it, too. Like, oh, what am I going to say next? And, and I totally mm-hmm. miss, you know, I totally miss what my girl said or, or whatever. And that's like and I'm trying to get better at it. Like, I know it's a thing. But again, it's like. You know, you're you're raised to uh, I hate to say it, but mansplain, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. well, because we're 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 taught we're taught that we're taught to speak up and flex our intelligence. Here's mm-hmm. grades and here's this. And then they read your grade out in front of the class and you get your paper. So we're taught to 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 really care about what people think about us. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? We're taught to really really to the point where we're graded on what you think about me. You know what I'm saying? So when it comes down to just conversation back and forth, now it's like, okay, I need to let me flex my, let me flex me. It's subconscious. We don't do it on mm-hmm. purpose, but it's like, oh, I got something real dope. I'm going to say to this. I can't wait till <laughs> they stop. Yeah. I can't wait till they stop talking. I'm going to say something real dope right here. Uh, instead of trying to listen to understand what this other person is talking about. Rather than trying to un- want, trying to foster some <laughs> some some human interaction, we're trying to you know audition ourselves, frame ourselves. It's mm-hmm. like look at look at me. I'm I can be smart, <laughs> right? And it seems like the more we do that, the harder we try. The worse we are. I mean, it just goes back to your story about you know getting that ovation and then like that moment that you realize like what <laughs> you know my expectation isn't it isn't the end all be all here like i'm mm-hmm. not trying to impress everybody it frees mm-hmm. you and plus no, the thing 100%. that you the mind-blowing thing you're about to say probably isn't even relevant because you haven't been listening to the last three sentences <laughs> now we're talking about something <laughs> right. else you're trying to figure out the best way to get your point across and mm-hmm. you don't even know that y'all might not even be there no more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and, and then you you go into like the ninja turtles like we're giving uh, little girls these real things, these like applicable to life things, baby dolls and vacuum cleaners and easy bake ovens, which I, ne- I never got any food from an easy bake oven, man. I'm, I'm still a little <laughs> slighted to this day. <laughs> and you also have to think about it like this too. It's like, even if women are given something make-believe, it's still a practical attitude or application for the future. For example, mm-hmm. princess. You, a princess is make believe, but it's not though. There are real princesses, like you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like so, even if I mm-hmm. send her out 
even if I send her out into this world thinking she's a princess, she's still going to find her little corner that either accepts that or thinks it's dope or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. I can't go anywhere with my nunchucks and my bandana <laughs> and people are like, oh, this dude's fucking awesome. Like, no, like that's not, you're, you're sending me out there uh, ill-prepared for real life. Like, right. but women get, like I said, women get dresses and, uh-huh. and tiaras and, and, and all this other stuff that you can actually find in society. I'm given a mask and a ninja costume. Like, that's mm-hmm. not okay. Mm-hmm. And, and that even translates to weddings. Like, that's the day where you get to be a princess again, kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and then we, and that's the thing I'm talking about. It's about understanding. Even if you don't like it, you have to understand it. Like, you, if I point it out, if I point out that elephant, you got to see it. Like, you got to see it. You don't have a choice. It makes so much sense. You know what I'm saying? Now, in in terms of this bit, have there like how did that process go? Like, were there times where where you had a hard time pointing out that elephant to the audience? And how did you how did you uh, narrow it down to what what really hit? Well, that joke in particular, that span that you guys played was was kind of born out of venting. Um, I didn't even know where the punches was in those two stories. Um, I still, to this day, don't understand why people laugh at the princess stuff. Cause I didn't, none of that was a punchline. Like none of it was a punchline. There were no punchlines in that story. You know what I'm saying? Um, it was just me venting about how do you expect us to make it when we start like this? Like men are this, and then you give us toys, and then da, 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 and then uh, and then, you know what I'm saying. So to me, it didn't have traditional punchlines. So it was it was very weird for me when I first told it on stage. I told it against my will, like I didn't want to tell it. A friend of mine made me tell it because they felt like they were a much seasoned, uh, much more seasoned comedian than I, and they told me that that's how jokes are born. You can only go but so far on paper before you have to say it out loud and see what people connect with. Because what you meant for people to connect with may not be what people connect with. You're, you get you use the pencil and the paper to get your thought out of your head. You make a joke on stage. So he, he kind of made, I, I respected him and he kind of made me, he kind of made me tell it. And then, you know, the, it, it goes from there. You add punches, you, 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 record yourself, you listen, so, oh, I can say this right here, or I can change this word to this. And then you start to plug in the funny after you get it out. You know what I mean? So especially the princess part of it, I, that was just straight frustration. That was something that I came up with as a add-on to the, to the toy stuff for dry bar. So I've never, ever told the princess stuff anywhere else but dry bar and haven't told it since dry bar. <laughs> I probably could make a dope joke out of it, but it's already on tape now. So it's like, <laughs> I can't go back and listen to it and punch it up because it's on tape already. But um, I wrote that for dry bar as an add on to that stuff. So it, it was more of a venting than anything else. I honestly didn't even know where the punches was going to come from. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, I mean, you're basically the, the point like about Snow White, you're basically just breaking down the plot of Snow White without all the fluff. Like that's all it is. It's like you said, it's not even really just punchlines. It's like, I'm just describing Snow White in a way that is a little bit different than you're probably used to hearing. And I got vetoed. It's just a funny story. I got vetoed too, because that, that bit was a lot longer. 
and it went in it went in uh to detail about why do women want to be princesses they're so weak and they're always being saved by somebody else right why do you even want to be a princess but then somebody said no don't don't shit on women (laughs) that much on on a special like (laughs) because you'll never get out of it You'll never, it's always going to be on tape because I went and, and I just kind of, yeah, I just kind of dumped. I'm like, why do y'all even want to be princesses? They're so weak. They're so, Snow White had to be kissed in the mouth by a regular dude. And like, you know, this person had to save this person. She was stuck in the tower. Y'all always in some shit y'all not supposed to be in. And, but it, it just kind of, <laughs> it just kind of dumped on, dumped on women. Right. Yeah. Um, And they were like, nah, you it ain't no, it ain't enough punchlines for you to dump on women like that. <laughs> and they were right. Like I said, it was, it was like the other part of the joke. It was no punches. It was just me venting. But yeah. this part was about me venting about how shitty women are. And that's now okay. <laughs> I feel like it's more of a, a commentary on how shitty uh, men write for women. Like, <laughs> like yep. she needs me, you know, I mean, Snow White, what does she do to get saved? Nothing. Like, it's it's just bad writing. You you have the central character and then that character makes a choice to to basically die. <laughs> and then and then she doesn't do anything to even, you know, save herself. You know, that's like, I don't want to follow that character. Like Cinderella. Cinderella yeah. Cinderella is one of the worst written characters of all time. She she literally lets everyone else make the decisions for her. What kind of message is that? Like the people that wrote that shit, they can, you know, this is yeah, what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, and it's so funny. It's like, do y'all, and y'all don't even know these princesses. I mean, y'all don't even know these princes. Like you just run up letting strange dudes kiss you in the mouth because their house is big. Like that's not Okay. <laughs> So yeah, I just I was just dumping, and they was like, yeah. So this part you got to cut all that out. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but I love you now. <laughs> right, exactly. I saw some uh, cartoons the other day, and I probably won't be able to find them in the next like minute or two. But it was uh, it was like the Disney princess is going to see a therapist, and, and like them spelling out the bare bones of what happened. It's like. So you were asleep and then you just fell in love with the first guy that you saw. Like, are, are you just doing that because you've been asleep this whole time? And <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. It's, the, it's, the, it's the elephant that nobody saw. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? If you can point that elephant out, we all can relate because we love that story or that subject or that person. So we all can relate. Soon as you point the elephant out, we like, how did I not? see that this whole time <laughs> right right uh um yeah it's just that that societal construct man just the, like when your kids i mean at a young age it's like oh man girls they got cooties they we gotta stay away from them you know and then uh, you get to that point where all of a sudden that shifts i feel like we have these preconceived notions about people who aren't like us right and then uh, we either we either stick to those uh, those toxic perspectives, or we make that shift. And like as kids, we make that shift with the opposite sex. Most of us, um, mm-hmm. or at least in my in my experience, uh, <laughs> when I found out I like girls, I was like, "Oh, all girls can be cool, awesome." <laughs> <laughs> like, why, why why didn't we <laughs> like why didn't we learn that for other things too, like like religion and, and race and and uh, political. Uh, and so nobody wants like, to nobody wants to 
take the risk of finding that elephant. I feel like that's the uniqueness about comedy mm. is we <laughs> take that risk that a lot of society won't take. Like I'm going to take something you care about or know about or are familiar with, and I'm going to talk about it in a way that you may not be used to at all. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm going to take something you like and I'm going to shit on it. I'm going to point out the terrible part of it. Um, or I'm just going to point out something that I'm sure you never factored in. Like for one of my favorite examples of that is Bill Burr. Bill Burr has a joke about cruise ships that made me want to quit comedy. I was like, I'm done. That's no way I can. I'm done. That's stupid. That's like, like it was, a, it was amazing. And I never thought of it in a million years. And I've been on and off the cruise ships all the time, but he just talked about, he, he just talked about how he doesn't understand it. It's voodoo. How he was like, you're, you're out on this rubber ducky in the middle of this ginormous <laughs> tub. And you have already started the sinking process. There are pools of water on the boat. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, there are pools of water on the boat. How are you not going down? Like, it, it was just, it was incredible. Like, it was, yeah. it was absolutely incredible. He talked about how much it weighs. And then he just talked about, um, um, he's talked about uh, oh, how he doesn't trust the fact that he doesn't know who's running the boat. What if dude <laughs> ran the boat is having a bad day? Or, you know, the engineer dude. It's like, it's like, they tell you it's like 15,000 employees. Where have you ever been and you trusted 15,000 people? Where? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I was just like, nowhere. That's genius. I've never been a place and thought 1,500 people were trustworthy all at one time. And that's yeah. what you're doing. You're getting on this boat. You're trusting this 1,500 people to get you where you need to be. And I'm just like, I, I want to quit. I'm done. This is this is amazing. Like he took he took something as simple as a cruise ship and just dissected it to the point where it's like that's the elephant, and I know exactly what you mean. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah. And he escalated that bit so well too. He got you to the point where you are almost rooting for like all the people in that shit to get shot. You know, at the end, like <laughs> <laughs> where is that bit? By the way. Ah, that bit is on. Uh, it's on one of the ones on Netflix. Okay, it's oh, on. Um, Jesus, the one uh, with the flowers, I believe. Okay. He's holding the the the, the dead flowers. It's right okay. before the black and white special. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. You feel that way? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's the one. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I got that one queued up. Nice. He's, yeah, he's Gilbert is an is an absolute. Is an absolute genius. You probably can just Google it, Google that bit, and it'll pop up. I think that bit was <laughs> true. Was so what, funny. One of the first, uh, one of the first links. Joke. <laughs> one of the first things I found was an article about how it's not funny. The <laughs> cruise ship joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, That's I'm an engineer, and I don't like this. <laughs> We we're we're all a system. We're a family. You can trust fifteen thousand employees. Uh, his plan would be to sink cruise ships because oh. apparently people who take cruises are boring and no one would miss them. <laughs> oh, well, apparently man. he had like a, he did a bunch of cruise ship jokes on his podcast, so that's what I'm getting. But on his special, he has one and uh, sinking cruise just, ships to solve overpopulation. It's. <laughs> That's what it was. He's such a genius, man. Bill Burr is probably my favorite comedian working, if I think about it. He's amazing. 
Yeah, no, just the way he just it's authentic. Like he's real. Like he, you, you can feel exactly what he's feeling. Even if you're not laughing, you're you're on board. Pun not intended, but like that's that's <laughs> it's it's fun yeah, to watch, man. His, his whole every every single one of his specials, he mentions at least once a population control. Yeah, and it's, and it's <laughs> so freaking funny. It's funny for two reasons: one, because it's taboo, and two, because he's not all the way wrong. Like you could, like humanity would never be able to fathom something like that. But it's like, is he lying though? Like. <laughs> Wouldn't it be a lot better with just like <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just a million people. That's it. Just a million people on this earth. We would be doing it big. <laughs> I mean, he did. He did have that uh, that plague bit where where he's talking about he's how like, everybody a plague. everybody who wanted to go to the Super Bowl can go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so funny. Yeah, it, it's again. It's the elephant is pointing out the elephant that's there, but we don't want to talk about it because nope. we got to do something about it in some cases. And I and I think, like you said, you know, we we've got to take that risk uh, as comedians. That's our job. But whose job is it to to actually do something about it? Like it's our it, mm-hmm. it's up to us to point it out in a way where it gets people like talking and thinking. And um, but you know who. Who who fixes the problem is the, the million dollar question. Yeah, man. Nah, trillion dollar question. For, for actual answers. There's yeah. Too many people for <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Somebody else can take care of this. Mm-hmm. But that's what like like what I do is is I try to I try to uh, I help like like business owners and executives and and managers like use some of the principles of stand-up comedy in their leadership. So like taking risks, being willing. To, to call out the elephant in a room in the room in a way that gets people to want to do something about it. Like mm-hmm. it's those little principles of, of looking, looking at things just a little bit differently and, and finding a way yeah. and being willing to crash and burn and adjust and make it better next time. And just keep doing that over and over. Like, yeah. Like I said, and like I said, it's a, the art, the art comes in when you think of something like that, but it's like, okay, so how do I relay this to everybody else? And that is a whole separate thing that you don't really think about that you're that you're doing as a comedian. You may even be doing it naturally. Maybe that's the talent that you have, but that taking that from A to B like that from thought to stage is not an easy thing. <laughs> no, and then, and then taking it from stage to action, like that's even harder. Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure. Um yeah, there, I mean, like we were saying, there's a lot of different ways that, that people have looked at at the the men and women uh, question. You know, Wanda Sykes has a bit about uh, about sex, how like women or, or men, you know, they're going to finish like women, you know, maybe. I don't know. Um, like that difference. Uh, Chris Rock has a bit about um, platonic friends. I don't know if you're familiar <laughs> with that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, there's so many different society. Like, there's so many differences that my my whole perspective on like on differences is is that it's not the differences that that divide us, that separate us. It's how we look at those differences. It's like this is this is a good thing that we're different. Imagine everybody being the same, you know? Yeah, no. And my thing is, like I said, my my little niche to it all is, like I said, why I'm always enamored by why. Like, you can point out a difference between men and women, but why is it like that? And to me, that's what fascinates me and gets me going and gets my pen moving is trying to figure out why. Because even if I can't figure out why, 
the fact that I want to and I have theories enamors people, mm-hmm. I feel like. Not me, but when you have a theory, people will listen because it's a topic we care about. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I have I have this joke about um women thinking women uh being hung up on the the way thinking that they weigh more at night than in the morning. I have no idea why that is or why that's so important to you or why that pound is so important to you. But I got theories, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, mm-hmm. and I'll and be damned if it's not going to be hilarious me going over those theories, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, or, or just trying to hear you explain the ridiculousness. You ever, you ever try to listen to a woman explain stupid stuff? It's like, they have reasons. <laughs> they have so many reasons. I, I listened to a woman the other day explain to me why her fake eyelashes were important to her. And I was like, I want to jump off something. Like I, I do, <laughs> I do want to jump off something. Like not high enough to die, but just want to hurt myself so I don't have to listen to this anymore. You know, right. what I mean? just, yeah. it's so so that why is is enamoring. You know what I'm saying? That yeah. why is 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 captivating. So if you can somehow, like I said, you don't even got to come up with why, but if you can explore why with some with some fervor and some humor, man. It's gonna connect. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that. My girlfriend just got these like magnetic eyelashes, and she, we were having a conversation about them the other day. And the only thing I could think of was you should get another pair for your lower eyelids. So you just got these like <laughs> <laughs> like Venus flytrap of. <laughs> it's like why? What is it about? What is it about your face that you said? You know what? More hair, please. Like like. <laughs> Like why? What is it about your like why? Like yeah. I feel like why is this hilarious to me? Yeah, I mean it draws attention to to the eye. I mean I don't know. I'm an eye guy. I can find something to be attracted to in any color of eye. <laughs> but I yeah. feel like even even that is slightly traumatizing because the only examples you have of that is like anime or child cartoons, like with big eyes with big lashes, like Betty yeah. Boop or something like that. So. <laughs> I feel like if you like long eyelashes, you're probably this close to being a pervert. Like you're probably <laughs> this close <laughs> to not being able to be around schools. You know, you like come on, like yeah, yeah. You got to wear like a sailor costume, like a <laughs> let me get that short ass skirt. <laughs> uh, if you could add to to that bit, or if you could elaborate on like on something from it to like turn it into because i know like you said you know it's it's on the album it's recorded so it's hard to go back and and add tags to it so if you you said you're working on uh something that's kind of related to it like what would you add to that bit or if you were still working on it what would you do differently um probably probably escalate it you know what i mean i would probably just go in the stages that that was a baby playing with toys. You could probably go into when you finally get to school, high school, a college. You could probably the dynamic that makes us scared of women is always there. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's been there for the longest and uh, it's not going anywhere. So I feel like if you you could probably do stages in which. OK, so now once you get here, the reason girls get on your nerves is because of this. <laughs> like it's it's. It's it's probably an elevation of stages that I would probably go next. Yeah, I like the, I like where that's headed. <laughs> There's so much, and then the, and then the princess stuff. I would just talk about uh, <laughs> the the stuff that got vetoed. Is just why do you women even want to be princesses? Just, 
<laughs> shit on women for 15 minutes. It's about the construct. It's not about women themselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you gotta. Yeah, I try. You, gotta, you try to explain stuff like that. You you wouldn't be imagine how many how many hate letters I get for my nightweight joke. Like they they take that stuff personally. <laughs> yeah, it's like no, I'm on your side. I'm just pointing this out. Oh yeah, they take that personally. Yeah, but again, you can't you can't please them all. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. No cares, none. Here's a fun fact. This is from the book Ha, uh, the science of when we laugh and why. It's by Scott Weems, and this is like a little difference between men and women. Uh, women are more likely to laugh while men are more likely to elicit laughs. The level of activity in the dopamine reward system in women is much greater than that of men when they hear a joke. The difference in brain activity seems to have more to do with women's experiences rather than their expectations. They have lower expectations, so when they get to the punchline, they get a higher reward. Well, men expect a lot, and when they don't get it, they become sour. So women don't laugh more than men because their brains are more active. They actually laugh because their minds are more open. So a little little mm-hmm. fun science, little little tidbit there about uh, the difference. Between. I feel like you. I feel like you learn that when you look into an audience and see a bunch of dudes. Yeah. You, after that, after that set, you be like, oh, okay. I- <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I yeah, a that. table of dudes. Who was it that made the uh, Ryan Reese? I think um, he's 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 the the crowd work dude for Seth Meyers. Um, mm. He he was he opened at hilarities and he has. He has a joke about like when you see a table of dudes at a comedy show, something went wrong in their plans. Like <laughs> that's yeah. I mean, <laughs> obviously you notice the the difference from the stage. Oh yeah. Oh, oh god. Yeah. Women like it. Um. I I don't know. I'd have to like think about it to agree with what that book says. But there is a ginormous difference uh, that you can tell almost immediately. <laughs> immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you're if you're like a if you're like a psychology nerd, Mike or Steve or whoever's listening, Jeremy, um, <laughs> Jeremy's the only one listening to this. No, uh, <laughs> no. we have one listener. No, uh, <laughs> but uh, the the book is called "Ha: The Science of When We Laugh and Why." It's a really interesting read if you want to kind of get mm-hmm. into the nitty gritty behind behind uh, our brains and humor. Um, I love that Sounds kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So if you're, you know, if you like reading that kind of stuff, you know, you say you're a psych, uh, you got that psych background, and it's evident yeah. in the way you constructed this bit. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. Dave, I might have mm-hmm. read something similar actually, uh, because I remember I forgot what it was I read, but um, whatever it was, it was very similar. But um, I just remember thinking, oh well, I got to start trying to make women laugh first, or like focus on them. Everything else will follow. Um, but I still don't. I don't do that. I don't think to myself when uh, about that when I when I write jokes. I got to do that more. Maybe I don't know. And try it out. See what see what happens. <laughs> and then you're gonna get a room full of men and be like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that a lot when I do crowd work because I'll be picking on some people in the and the and or a couple and the, the woman is laughing and the dude is like, all right, bro, go ahead off. <laughs> Do it, doing the, the crossed arms <laughs> right she died laughing he's like yeah. alright god it yeah you don't see women sitting in the crowd like this as much you know <laughs> right for sure <laughs> make me laugh funny man <laughs> mm. um, and, and another uh, what's I gonna say shit oh also another to add to that point Steve uh, 
and, and playing into gender stereotypes. For the most part, if the woman goes home happy, the dude might not have laughed the entire show. He's going to have a good, you know, he's going to have a better oh, absolutely. night. Oh, 100%. So, 100%. Yeah. I've, I've, off of that. I've poked, I've poked, you know, poked the bear on that one a couple of times where I've said, like, like you are mad at me, but when she comes, you'll, you'll, you'll forgive me. Because <laughs> she, because she's having a great time right now. So I just want you to know the 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 sex you about to get tonight. You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I got the momentum going, man. We got the 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 cocktail, the neurotransmitters. If she accidentally, if she accidentally says Mike, just let it go. Okay? <laughs> yeah, just, just send me a DM on on Facebook and say thank you. That's it. <laughs> you can't laugh at that. Your usual writing process. Do you have like a set writing process or? Uh, like, how do you come up with stuff? You know. Um, well, like I said before, I will I will write uh, something down, maybe just a premise or something, and then I, you know, I was always told and groomed by comedians before me that it was only so far you can take a joke on paper. So you gotta once I once I get stumped on paper, I just go on stage and say it, and then mm-hmm. see what comes out. You know, I mean, that's part of that crowd work thing we were talking about earlier is just giving yourself the freedom and the leeway to mess up. You know what I mean? Um, So there will be a good 30 seconds, 20 seconds after I tell a new joke where I'll let myself vent. I'll let myself just go and see what happens. Hopefully I'll record it and hopefully something comes of it. And if it don't, then I maybe I'll do it one or two more times. And if nothing ever comes of it, then I'll just let that premise go. But you have to, probably the biggest enemy of a comedian is the fear to fail. You know what I'm saying? If you, you can't fear bombing, you can't fear something not working because you're eliminating possibilities at that point. You don't know what people are going to relate to. So I, I, either do it one of those two ways. Either I'll get something down on paper and then think of something and be like, oh, that'd be, I bet you I could probably make something of that. Then write it out as much as I can, might write out the premise as much as I can, then take it to the stage. Or, you know, in those, in those 30 second moments on stage where I let myself vent, something, a joke might come out of that. I mean, I used to have this uh, whole five minute bit I did on how I prefer older women. And that came from just, riffing with a crowd and then it and then it just became something that i believe like it's like oh i believe that wholeheartedly i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna say that again (laughs) so i feel like a a huge chunk of my writing process is just on stage Mm. because if you do discover that like with the audience right there you i mean that's that's what you're trying to replicate anyway so Mm -hmm. it's so much more rewarding that way Especially yeah. if you believe it, if it's true, if it's genuine, you're like, oh, you know what? I do hate them. You know, <laughs> like I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna talk about how much I hate them later. <laughs> and with that writing on stage, do you record your sets and listen back, or do you remember that? Got set? to, yeah, got to. Even, even if I'll record myself with not even a reason to record myself, and a lot of times it'll just be a regular set, and I'll just delete it later. But a lot of times it'll be a little nugget, and I'll be like, oh snap, about. 17 minutes in, I said something real dope. Let me go listen to that, write that down so I don't forget it or whatever. But I I would record, I think you should record every single set. And if it's not, 
if it's nothing came of it, then just delete it. But definitely record every single because you never know. You give yourself the room to stretch on stage and to flex, and you never know what will come of that. Mm-hmm. That's always that's always the biggest fear of mine is that I get on stage and I like I come up with a tag on the fly, and then I look at my phone and it didn't start recording. Like I had like that's because I'm not going to remember it. I, I won't remember. No, of like, not. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. That's good advice for for any, especially newer comics. You know, getting up there. Like, if you wanna if you wanna get better, you gotta know where you where you come from, like where you came from. Uh, I, I I have I hoard, so I got recordings from three years ago. And uh, <laughs> yeah, man, you gotta record every. I, I say record every single set. You don't have to keep every single set, but definitely record every single set. Yeah. Yeah, that's a problem I have. <laughs> but every once in a while, if I have a second, like I'll go back and listen and be like, man, I was bad. Uh, <laughs> all right. So if uh, if you could give uh, one piece of advice to a comic that is working on a bit about the differences between men and women, what would you say? Explore your thought process and be as deep as possible. Explore your thought process and be as detailed as possible. Because it's, it's one of those done topics. Mm-hmm. It's one of those done topics. I think I think we as comedians spend too much time trying to be original because there is no topic that nobody has ever talked about. But we don't know your perspective. You know what I'm saying? That's what the audiences want from famous people. Like, you know, every... You know, everybody has problems with their kids, but I want to hear Kevin Hart's problems with his kids. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's not the topic. It's how deep you can go and how eclectic you can make it. You know what I mean? Where what's your perspective on that topic? And Mm -hmm. if you go real surfacey, then you probably gonna be stepping on a lot of people's toes because everybody wants surfacey, especially you know, if you're not a historian of comedy, you're going to be, you know, doing Def Jam jokes or, <laughs> or you know, old one mic stand jokes or, you know what I'm saying? Because it's surfacy. You know what I mean? You're just talking about, um, you know, black people church is real long. It's like, yeah, that's true. But yeah, it's an observation we, we got a long time ago. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So yeah. I would say, I would say dig deep and find yourself in every premise that you want, especially when it's a done premise like men and women or the difference between men and women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike, uh, where can we find you on social media? Uh, hit me up on Instagram at Mike Paramore Jr. Um, like I said, I do uh, Let's Be Honest with Mike Paramore season three premieres in March. That's going to be on Dry Bar Comedy's Facebook. Um, but I'm going to keep people up to breast and, and, and what's going on on my Instagram. So at Mike Paramore Jr. on Instagram and uh Y'all can come hang out with us on Let's Be Honest. All right. Um, cool. Thanks for taking the time to, to join us tonight. Thanks for having me, fellas. Uh, I appreciate yeah. it, man. Yeah, yeah. man, you've had some, you had some great insights. I'm going to listen, listen back to this and really kind of <laughs> <laughs> take some notes. And uh, I feel like you had a lot of good information on there. Uh, all right. Well, uh, thanks again, Mike, for appreciate helping us. Appreciate you guys us. having me, man. Yeah, man. You've, yeah, you've, helped, us, you've helped us prove that... that you know, no matter how obsessed with why we are, we should definitely be more obsessed with why. Uh, no matter, 
no matter right. how we're trying to communicate. <laughs> yeah, man, you got to find that elephant. You got to communicate. <laughs> you got to communicate that it's crazy and sexy at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Still want to do that's a waste of five minutes. I don't ever get to tell that joke. <laughs> never say never, man. One day it's just gonna you're gonna be on a cruise ship and it's gonna hit you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. Thank y'all, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got it, man. man. Because no matter our differences, you can laugh at that. Boom. Oh. There you got the podcast there. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was fun. Special thanks to Gold Knox Studio. You can find Golden Ox Studio for all your podcasting needs at goldenoxstudio.com. Hit up Jeremy. He is fantastic to work with, professional. Uh, He makes podcasting easy. And uh, if if you've been kicking the tires on starting your own podcast, definitely give Golden Ox Studio a look. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at YouCan'tLaughPod. Or like us on Facebook if you can't laugh at that and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right. Bye.